I wanted to book you on this uh, show that I do. It's that basement show. There's no mic, no chairs, and unfortunately, this time around, I can't pay you, but there is a buffet. Cops retirement party. I got no room for you to stay in, but there's free drinks. You wouldn't mind uh, hiding out for about a half hour, 45 minutes until the uh, birthday girl gets there, would ya? Wondering if you'd like to do comedy uh, on a boat. Not a very big boat, kind of just like a real boat. Really, it's just a canoe. Let me know if you want to do the gig. Welcome back, everybody, to Death by Comedy. Uh, I am Chris Walsh, and my partner here with me today is... Gary Peterson. It's always fun to do the tag team thing. I feel like it'd be really fun if you waited, like, a full minute before you said your name. <laughs> like, these guys don't know how to edit. Um, no, it's just a joke. It's just Comedy is all about Timing. Timing. T- timing. Uh, <laughs> welcome back. We're uh, we're trying stuff a little different here. We normally have guests, but Gary and I like talking to each other last time around, so we're doing it again. We doing we, it one more time. Would you say we're off air friends? Yes, I would say that. I'm very very happy to say that, Gary. I it's it's weird because when I was a kid growing up, like my parents, my family, we weren't very affectionate. Nobody ever said I love you. I feel like I say I love you every time I hang up the phone or I'm around you. I'm like, you know, in the past, friends might find this a little bit weird, but uh, you're actually, Gary, I would say one of the more masculine friends I've ever had. You do all kinds of jujitsu and taekwondo and kung fu and you can handle people Better than I think anyone I've ever met, both mentally and physically. Thank you. So, but I, I think maybe it's because of that that I'm not afraid to throw an I love you out there. Even though we're relatively new friends, you might say, Gary. Yeah, we've known each other a long time, but we didn't really, like, know, know each other until the last few years, I think. And then I haven't mm-hmm. trusted you um, since maybe, like, two, three weeks ago. And, yeah. uh, you know, that it takes time. <laughs> You're saying it's a recent trust? Yeah. I feel like uh, I feel like you should never have trusted me. You you <laughs> you know, you've you've known me from afar for a long time, and all the stories I've told about stolen vehicles and uh, <laughs> run-ins with the law. I and knew all that you. Good stuff. As, as I don't know how many friends have met you've met people through comedy, but I knew you through what you would do on stage, and I was a. a a pip squeak, a young uh, upstart, um, a whippersnapper, <laughs> and I just was like, "Oh, they're they're doing the best stuff. I want to be around the best people and the funniest." And uh, and I, that, and so like, I think I was too young to learn that that lesson of like, uh, act like you uh, should be there. Don't be kind of fanboy and yeah yeah i it, never got that from you i i think i it burnt out uh a few times with people <laughs> i learned i it. never i never got a fanboy thing uh with you like i i think maybe it was like in boston i think there was a measure of like when i started out people were real cunt scare <laughs> uh we would <laughs> When we, my brother and I were solo acts to start off and, you know, we had some friends like James Patterson was a close friend of ours and we would pal around the city 
And we would try and get up at like Nick's or the vault or wherever, or the comedy studio and the people above us, which is weird, you know, comedians talk about this sort of being like high school when we were kind of like freshmen, the mm -hmm. more like junior and senior, not, not the headliners, but the other people we were kind of like almost competing against at like open mics and trying to get time with and shows the more established, but lesser known acts were all shitheads yeah. in Boston. And I remember distinctly like like being treated like shit one time at Nick's and like my, you know, and there was like a group of us and we were all kind of that way and we would talk about it. We would go get dinner after the show or beforehand and we would always kind of talk about it and I would be like, why are these people so shitty? Mm. Like we all are kind of like together because of comedy, because we love to make people laugh because we were probably outcasts when we were in high school or younger. Mm -hmm. Most of us aren't much older than high school age. And I just remember thinking, if I'm ever established, I don't ever want to treat anyone badly. And I want to, like, yes. I just remember thinking, like, I will try and lead by example, and I will try to be as cool as can be around the younger dudes coming up like yourself or, like, Renata Tutko. I remember her catching me after one of the Boston Comedy Festival shows, and we, we were walking back to the vault, and she started to talk to me, and I was like... You know, I would do this with anybody. I would be like, if they showed enthusiasm in stand-up, I would just be like, here's my cell phone number. Mm -hmm. I'm awake all hours of the day. <laughs> Don't ever hesitate to text or call. And I'm serious. People rarely took me up on that. But I'd yeah. be like, if you have questions about comedy, if you have trouble eventually like with like a manager or an agent or a booker or whatever it is, give me a phone call because people like Tony V had done that to me. Yes. And I wanted the world to be better for other standups. You know? I, I, I think I inadvertently copied that model as well. Cause people were super shitty, super mm -hmm. loner. Who the fuck are you? I never see you out anywhere, but here, but it was cause I was, I was like 17, 18. Uh, mm -hmm. and I think the vault was the only place I could sneak into because oh, they wouldn't ask, uh, ID shit. Everywhere else was mm -hmm. like, you know, you got to be 21. And I, I didn't have They're a They were like, here ID. you go, kid, drink all you want. Get some chicken fingers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and I didn't drink. It was just more about the comedy. It was just more, you know. It, but I would, like, crawl my way into these places from a back door. Mm -hmm. And then people would be super shitty or ignore me or yeah. never say good set or never look at me. I didn't make any friends. Oh, that's too bad. It was, like, years of that. And then, like, all, I think almost everyone that was like that quit uh i yeah. cannot and I, I have a good fucking memory for comedy i forget a lot of things <laughs> but i remember jokes and people and i remember almost everybody that was shitty did not continue on they just burnt out and quit which is great um, i got a question for you this is this is definitely like b-side deep deep cut but were you did you start out when toddler was around at the uh comedy vault there was this kid, he would he would drive down from, like, Salisbury. I forget where he was from. I think sometimes he would wear, like, a, like a, like a, um, baby, like a baby outfit and put on, like, you know, he was doing, like, weird, I don't know. And then he would, he would just bomb, but he would have all of his friends there. There was, there was a lot of people at the vault like that. You know, he would, people like that would come in and they'd have these, like, weird sketches and weird stand-up and stolen stand-up. And then everyone would act like they had a chip on their shoulder and hated everybody. Um, but no. that was the vault to me. I just remember it being the worst. It was awful. Lisa was the booker. I never remember uh -huh. Toddler. 
But then again, I, I stopped kind of going to the vault after my sister was physically and sexually right. harassed there one night. Jesus. Um, uh, she threw a comic over a table. Good for her. Uh, mm. And that guy who did it is sober now. We will not talk about him. But Don't uh, fuck with the Petersons. You'll get thrown <laughs> over a building. Exactly. Well, he she tried to sit behind her. She, I think I've told this before. Yeah. She stiff-armed him. And her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend uh, now, uh, boyfriend at the time, did nothing. Stood there at the table and just watched, um, which was pathetic. But I I do that stuff that you do because it's a different time right now, like coming back to stand-up in Boston. And Mm -hmm. I I think I do it for a couple reasons. One is because I don't want anyone to feel as shitty as I felt, even if they never do comedy again. To um, the new classes, there will always be more new people than old people doing this yeah and so like that class that was shitty washed out and that taught me is like oh there's a huge turnover rate in this uh yeah so those shitty habits can go away and die and then we can create our own scene the way we want it so i always just i acted in the way that i wanted the scene to be so i mean i met a number of uh a very lovely um kind people that are newer people to the scene here uh people that moved here from different places people that are doing it digitally and 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 doing it on the zoom shows and we talk Mm -hmm. on the phone all the time and and write on zoom and um you know shoot the breeze and i'm just like oh yeah that tag that's good and it keeps you kind of young um yeah fresh exactly Um, but i felt that way because you know i don't know if i've talked about this in this pod yet but i took Gary's class at the beginning of the pandemic uh, because I had been, you know, I know I've talked about this on the pod, but like where I hadn't been doing comedy for a while, I took a few years off. I was trying to get into like more TV writing, stuff like that, and was like learning the ropes with that stuff. But I really felt like I wanted to get back. I mean, I have probably the worst timing on stage and off in life, but I basically got back to comedy right as the pandemic started. I got to do a bunch of really fun shows right before then. And you were a part of some of those shows at like, you know, the John Ennis's theater and like uh, the yard in, in L.A. And and but but I got into your class because I was like, oh, I want to work on some new material. And to me, it was that stuff is great because there were people who had like never been on stage before and they were some of the f- coming with like some of the funniest stuff in the class. And I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah. You know, it was like the way you were kind of like bringing these personal stories out of people is how I've always felt about comedy. If you just tell your own personal story, then it's never going to be like anybody else. Cause nobody yes. has that story. Yes. You know? It's, it's, I think good standup is rooted in philosophy and storytelling and, and then anybody can be funny in life. That's proven. Yeah. Someone at, at some point has made someone else laugh. That would be a weird life if you've never made anyone laugh. I think you would be <laughs> maybe Osama bin yeah. Laden, perhaps. But <laughs> um, it was. Oh no, he was hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I guess you haven't seen his work, Gary. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't. But, uh, <laughs> I don't like his later stuff when he's more yeah, mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was bad when he got. By the time he got to Netflix, um, that's weird. The punk but, uh, rock and terrorism has that same thought, where it's like, I like this guy <laughs> before he was popular. <laughs> yeah, I, I think of both of those things as the same thing. I think of <laughs> Green Day is they're high on my list of terrorists that I want to see uh, abolished. Um, 
But uh, I lost the train. I had a, I had a good question for bring, you. Bringing stuff out of people, out of everyday people in the class you were talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just getting to that, like that nuance or that new, fresh. Uh, it's gone, Gary. It's gone forever. Storytelling, that's right. that's, original stories. Yeah. You said that. I ruined it. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It was great. <laughs> it was great. I wouldn't change a goddamn thing. Um, so I, I mean, I guess you're still performing online. I've kind of gone cold. I don't. I haven't been doing any performing. Uh, it's been very. Um, not not so much grim like it feels better things feel more hopeful now like i can't wait till we can get in front of an actual crowd again yeah i feel like if i were to bet on that um maybe 2022 <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt huh but uh but gary and i both i think we should as a sort of a to bring everyone up to speed we're not really into the performing live uh aspect of COVID-19, we have a lot of friends who go out on the road, you know, God bless them, good That's for them. how they make a living. It's just not for us, right? It's, I, I get upset when I hear, like, let's go to an open mic. I'm like, no, yeah. you don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can understand uh, somebody that made their income from this for years, like a lot of our friends, and now isn't making mm-hmm. a thing. Being yeah. like, I don't know what to do with my life, myself, my time. And I, I don't know how to make money. Um, mm-hmm. So that's understandable. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that as we do this show and reminisce about the good, bad, and the ugly, uh, mm-hmm. I think about those shows that even the shitty ones that we wish to get back. Uh, yeah. I, I had a question for you. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, what was the the worst feedback you've ever gotten from a family member who's seen your comedy. Oh yeah. Um, well this one is, it's not so much like it's, it's kind of, I guess I got to do a little sort of uh, prep for this one. I can't just jump right into it. Sure. It's, it's cause it's probably definitely a situation that I'm forgetting, but this one, the one that I'm thinking of came from my father. Um, and my father was classic new England blue collar, like, Almost like you see in a movie like um, Jack Nicholson or like, um, I forget, Nick Nolte. My dad had a lot of like Nick Nolte in him. Like whenever I would see Nick Nolte when I was a kid on screen, I'd be like, oh, my dad's, you know, my dad's in a movie or whatever. Like he had a lot of sort of that like grizzled. There's a movie, I think it's called Affliction that takes place in New Hampshire where Nick Nolte plays this like alcoholic sort of like, my dad isn't that bad, but it's like definitely like he has the elements of like, set in his ways very new england sort of stoic like this is how it is you know and 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 you couldn't if my dad was set on something there's no way you could ever talk him out of it ever and uh and so my dad would come to our shows periodically and my brother and i particularly much like bin laden our later stuff got uh a little scary um we would do a lot of scary <laughs> sketch and character and sometimes it was really out there i was known for doing a lot of nudity which we've talked about before but i I would do things that actually had originated in my house but i would never do it when my dad was around i would always do it when he was like in bed and we had like a decent amount of family members in like the living room i would like take my clothes off and i would do the uh the naked yeti which is like you walk between from one doorway to another but you just sort of like you lumber. Swing your arms like a Sasquatch. Yeah, you kind of like yeah, you kind of like lumber by, 
and then you would do because what happened was i think i was like 14 i can't remember how old i was i saw the patterson film like there was some sasquatch i really loved sasquatch growing up just as an idea and i saw the patterson film and how fake it all looked and there's a moment in the patterson film where the sasquatch looks directly into the camera like right before it cuts away so i perfected this kind of like we called it the yeti where I would walk past, like, you know, in, in between the doorways, so you'd only get me for, like, a second. And right before I got to the second door jam, I would turn and look, you know, and then go and then pass out of view. So what I did was, as I was getting older, particularly around the holidays, when family was around, I would, like, run into the in another room, take all my clothes off, and I would walk through and do the naked Yeti. But usually only, like, you know, like, my mother might see, or, like, my cousin and someone would just they'd all just like you'd hear someone gasp and everyone would go what and then she'd be like chris just was naked you know he was naked or my brother would be like it's the naked yeti and then eventually over time it became this whole thing where i developed a whistle because yetis are supposed to whistle and then you would hear me whistle beforehand so people would know what to look for and then it became this like live performance then and we would do it in like comedy clubs and like random like one-nighters my brother would be like we're doing the naked yeti but he would explain it throughout the show but we would do these these full as you know gary these full two-hour extravaganza sketch shows where we do characters and stuff and eventually they became sort of events for like people i used to go to high school with and cousins and you know neighbors in my town so it would be like full of like 200 of our you know closest friends and we would usually do a weekend, so there'd be like four or five shows sometimes at Jimmy Tingle's Theater in Somerville. And my dad came to one of the later ones, and we had like a whole bunch of new sketches that he nobody had seen, which we were psyched about, because usually they, we'd have to do like a rerun the old hits or whatever. But in this case, we came up with one uh, called Walsh on Walsh, um, which is where my brother and I lay on top of each other and ask each other questions. <laughs> you both have absurdly large microphones, I believe. Yeah, it's like, and then we roll. So when I think it's the person underneath asks the question of the person above. And uh, I'm usually much more well prepared than my brother. Uh, I bring like note cards and we, oh, we wear very like, um, very like Tonight Show jackets with like patches on like from the 80s. Or like wigs or whatever. It's very silly. And we filmed it once. It's on the Great and Secret Comedy Show uh, on Comedy Central. You can find that online. Uh, Walsh on Walsh. Anyway, you can see it for yourself. But we did this for live for the first time in Boston. And my dad did not like it at all. And uh, he caught me the next day we were at. I remember we were coming out of a hockey game. My nephew's hockey game. And I got into the minivan with him. And we were waiting for all like, you know, the hockey players to come back to the minivan. And my dad's like... Yeah, I got some uh, feedback for you. And I was like, um, all right, well, I'm a little worried. And he's telling me about the show. The show was great. The show was great. Really funny. A lot of great new stuff. I didn't like that Walsh on Walsh, though. And uh, and I was just like, you know, and I knew I just kind of had to take it. You know, I'm in the back seat. I'm just like, all right, well, my dad doesn't like it, I guess. I can never do it in front of him again. <laughs> and uh, And he's just like... Yeah, he's like, you know, where we were, where the audience was, you were laying down, you know, your brother and you, you're on top of one another and you're rolling around on the stage. Nobody can see it past the first row. And he had this whole criticism that was like a production note, you know, that made sense. But behind it all was, I think, a twinge, perhaps, 
of uh, homophobia, Gary. I think I think there might have been a little, like you you know your dinks were mushed up against each other. He didn't say all this, but it was the it was the you know the undertone of it all that my bro- my dad just was like, and then I had to like call my brother and be like, Dad hates Walsh on Walsh. Be prepared. You know, I was like, we're we're having family dinners. I'm like, he's gonna get you. He's gonna tell you that he hates it. Would he do it in front of like the family in at, like the dinner table? Yeah, my dad, the great thing about my dad is he didn't give a fuck. Like, he would say anything in front of anybody, uh, to anybody at any time. You know, like, he would just be like, here's how I feel about this. And, you know, I think I I think I have a little bit of that in me, that, that Boston. You know, I call it like the, you know, you used to have that Boston when you're living in Los Angeles. I think sometimes people are surprised out here when you speak your mind and they're like, excuse me, you know. Huh? Like, I, I think I was telling you before, when I first moved out here, I called someone a goof. And everyone I was with was like, hey, can you can you go a little easy on him? I'm like, my dad called me a goof my whole life. It's like a term of endearment. Like, yeah, I'm not allowed to call people goofs. If I call you a fucking banana head, watch out. Yeah. That's... I'm okay with that, Gary. That's, I don't know, maybe that's I got too much of that tough love growing up. I I mean I use fucking banana head in place of fucking asshole because <laughs> I don't want to swear. Um, yeah, I I, I get you, and, and I've always liked meatball. Look at this meatball. That's a fun one. I I I had uh, you, you know your dad bringing stuff up in front of mm-hmm. people. Our families are very different, and I think it, it okay. does come down to cultural uh, the way we were kind of raised and stuff. Um, around, like our, our, our cultural roots. Cause you, I have Irish in my family on one side. We don't talk. Uh, uh, everyone's a, a rat. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, I imagine That's if funny. I was an adult around them, I would have seen the public displays of, uh, you know, Irish persecution at the dinner table. <laughs> um, but the Italian side um Italian American side here uh that I'm I'm closer with we do everything a little quietly a little like yeah. a little like take that, people yeah. aside and the first thing I did in Los Angeles uh was for jash.com I worked Ah I remember You remember this thing Now now, now defunct Yes uh Sarah Silverman Tim Google I think so it was Yeah you know, a great idea, a concept of like mm-hmm. a, a more of a bizarre, funnier die type stuff. Yes. Um, and Jamie Loftus brought me on to her a very silly project. They wanted an hour live streaming um, thing that she wrote. Uh, mm-hmm. That she, it was uh, the premise was Swan Lake performed live in a basement, in a locked basement, filling with gas. So it's all the music of Swan Lake uh, mm-hmm. that Jamie did put an entire ballerina routine together for. Oh, wow. Uh, a, a really good one. Um, yeah. Around the story of uh, it is the 80s. Her boyfriend is John Hinckley Jr. <laughs> and, okay. And she really thinks he's such a good guy. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's the day that he, what did he, stalk Jodie Foster and then try to kill Reagan? Something like that? That's right. That's right, yeah. 
He, uh, was, he was like a pen pal with Jodie Foster or something like that. So it was super weird and super fun, just like everything Jamie does, and hilarious. And I was like, yes, yeah. I'll do anything you want. And I was her assistant. She let me get some lines in that I still love. And um, yeah. she says, I'm going to need your help with one thing. And it was a very bizarre, uh, shocking thing at the end. Uh, where she does a butt chug with milk. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, yeah. And she's allergic to milk. Uh, and I was like, why don't you just use almond milk? And she goes, I would know. That's how much of a pro she is. Yeah, wow. She's authentic. Yeah, that's, that's why she gets paid the big bucks. Exactly. Uh, so I helped and we did the thing and she did chug a gallon of milk while performing ballet during, it was all this crazy, hilarious stuff. Um, that's wild. And then my uncle wrote me an email that said, <laughs> cause you promoted it. Yeah, it, it definitely. I was very proud of it. It was yeah, the yeah. first, first thing I had ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so funny to think that you... Pro- I just think there's that's a distinction because you were telling your family you got to watch this. Well, I, I we'll didn't... We'll get to that after. I didn't even tell them to watch it. I kind of hid it from my grandmother because I knew she would uh-huh. have a fucking heart attack. But I, I told people uh-huh. what I was doing and let them sort out the rest. Uh, right. And then my uncle wrote, like, I watched the show. Do everything you can to bury this. <laughs> it was something like he he was like change your name like yeah. on the credits and i was like we've already done the show it went yeah. out live yeah um like i didn't say i don't think i responded to that email to this day where i was just like it made me feel shitty yeah uh, i know he has he was concerned and, and he's a good uncle um yeah. It just wasn't his cup of tea, uh, or milk, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, uh, you he know, was a plain tea. I think he was looking out for me in his mind, but at the same time, it just feels bad when you you're related to these people and you happen to do something that the feedback is always so critical. It's either right, right. funny, not funny, good, bad. It's. Not yeah. like if you if I played trumpet and I sucked, mm-hmm. no one would say a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I don't know. My family might, but uh, <laughs> you fucking trumpet sucks. Yeah, I can't believe we bought you that trumpet. You loser! Um, Shove yeah, it up yeah, your ass, yeah. Louis Armstrong. You're, you're worse than Gonzo. <laughs> um, but. Uh, the, the interesting thing about about where we're at, uh, I guess, I guess with that stuff is that when you start to do stand up, you you know, after you've done it for a little while, like by the time you had moved to L.A., you uh, you had developed like a voice for yourself, you know, technique like you're becoming more of it's it's closer to art after you've been doing it for that long. Like I remember I, I was struck one time that, you know, I was doing stand up for a while and I realized that it's an art form. You know, I mean, most people don't think of it that way because, you know, there's that classic joke that there's not there's no difference between strippers and stand ups or strippers are, you know, have more integrity than stand. Whatever it is, is like all these dumb jokes about all that. But you do come to realize that your 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 sort of understanding of the form changes and then you start to do stuff like that where you're you're very proud of it. But your average lay person, you know, our relatives 
don't get that. They don't understand what, what it is that we're striving for, you know? And, and I've talked before about this, this young lady that I was dating in college when I first started to do stand-up. And I remember afterwards she came and we were taking the red line home and she's just like, yeah, but you're not really serious about this, are you? <laughs> you know, and I remember thinking like, <laughs> since I was like five years old, this is all I've wanted to do. Like I couldn't even explain to her like, this is oh, mean. This is it. This is all you're getting. She was like, she was getting like a top tier, like she was getting like Dean's List at BU and she was going to go into like, you know, Egyptian history and all this like stuff. She was like an ama- amazing athlete, amazing student. And she's just like, you want to do this for the rest of your life? You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm prepared to not make any money. Uh, here I am 20 years later, never, ever having made any money, uh, which makes, uh, you know, not performing live a lot easier than most of our friends, Gary, um, because I'm still working the day job, you know? I mean, I'm me like, too. Fuck it, I don't care, but but to bring it back around, like our family, they just don't understand the the sort of artistic integrity or the or the artistic vision that you might have. That they're like this this what is this you know? And you're like, no, no, I I want to lay on top of my brother and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and make it look like we're gonna kiss for half an hour while we ask each other questions or you know ten minutes, five minutes or whatever it is. I think that's anyway. Yeah, I mean. So you asked me, were there any other instances where you were criticized by a family member? Where you like that? I mean, that that's kind of that's a tough one. I feel like that one's worse than my dad. Like if someone wrote me like a direct criticism, I'd have a hard time with that. I think. I, my dad's always been really cool, um, and that's yeah. the only person that has mattered in my yeah my feedback in the beginning. He. He thought I would make fun of him, which I never would do. Um, right. Because it's shit. I think your dad, I, I've heard you tell stories where he comes across very cool. He is. Like I think about your dad based on the stand-up that I've heard of him, where I'm like, I want to meet that guy. He is you know? cooler than me. I hear that a lot, uh, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> You're, uh, well. It's, uh, I have great respect for my dad. He did say something in my early, because I was, you know, when you're starting out, where I was like, maybe I'm going to write a joke about you. And I, my dad said, if you ever write a thing making fun of me, I will fucking kill you. And I, <laughs> and he was serious. And, uh, yeah. and and I think he, once he saw the stuff that I did about him, how it was, like, written yeah. in, in affection, it wasn't like, my fucking right. stupid piece of shit. <laughs> That's so well, not. People always imagine it's going to be so negative, you know, yeah. and, and they don't really realize that even if you're, even if you're kind of making fun, it can still come from a good place. My the first joke I ever wrote was about my dad, um, and he was in the audience the first time I told it. I was, you know, a little bit worried at the comedy studio. Uh, my joke was basically at the time I think I was like eighteen or nineteen. I can't remember. I was like still in high school, I think, and um, and much like yourself, yeah, young whippersnapper. Um, and I, my joke was, um, uh, people, a lot of people say that, tell me that I look exactly like my dad, which is nice for him. He's in his fifties and, and he's been smoking since he's 12. So, so I get to go around looking like the guy who's, you know, I forget how it went, but like, it was, you know, look, looks like the guy who's been addicted to cigarettes since he was a kid. And my dad's, uh, you know, making out with cheerleaders. Uh, it was something like some along those lines, but that was the first joke I ever wrote, and it it actually, you know, at the time, to, the first time I went on stage, it went pretty well. But what was really funny was seeing everyone, 
everyone in my town ended up, not everyone in my town, but a lot of people found out that I was going to be going on stage um, at the comedy studio. And then a bunch of people from my town kind of filled up the back of the comedy studio. And as if you, you're not going to be nervous enough, you got people coming from, you know, Charlestown, which is like, you know, if you're outside of Massachusetts, it's like the movie Ben Affleck, the town. That's that's about the town I grew up in. Um, and and just all these, you know, lovable idiots at the back of the room, like waiting for me to go on, you know, and I was like, I was just ter- beyond terrified. I don't think I slept for like a week thinking about it. Um, but it went pretty well. And, and everyone's like pointing at my dad when I told the joke and like, you know, slapping him on the back. Um, so, you know, sometimes even criticism, jokes and criticism can go, go okay. I don't think he ever minded. He never criticized me about that one anyway. I've, Um, but I did stop smoking. (laughs) (laughs) After 38, 34 (laughs) years. 15 years later. Yeah. Uh, I, have you done a, uh, all family gig? Have you like, oh man, wedding, birthday, anniversary type stuff i don't know you know the closest we've ever come to that is um uh a funeral no i'm kidding um (laughs) we uh you know we would we would do you know like where we were each other's like best man you know like my brother david you know like we would you know like i was david's best man david my brother david was my brother michael's best man and my brother david did this you know, he, but David is like a classic. Here's a, here's a situation where I'm not afraid to get critical of my, of my, uh, siblings and my, my family members, but David would take the opportunity to do like a full half out. He'd be like, I'm writing out like a whole thing. And, and people would be critical of David to be like, that was too long. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, but, but part of a fucking wedding is these best man speeches. Like my brother wrote out this whole thing. I remember my brother, Michael, uh, when he got married, he's a Boston cop. Uh, he later became a uh, homicide detective, my brother Michael, and now I think a sergeant. He's uh, we're all very proud of him. He's you know uh, accomplished uh, accomplished uh, police officer. But when David gave his speech, he thought it would be funny. We went to Cappy's Liquors in Boston and got a bunch of forties because he thought it would be funny to hand out forties to like all the you know people who are associated with the cops in this like giant. You know, wedding it was like 200 people or whatever it was. I think we had to get like a shopping carriage and I had to go around and hand out all the 40s. Um, they were mad at him at going long, but David, I thought it was a great speech. I thought it was really funny. David's, a, you know, a great writer. He's a great performer. He's like an all around great comic. So I think he killed it. And, you know, if your criticism is too long, it's kind of like you're at a wedding anyway, you clown, mm-hmm. you know. I... Um, but what about you? Yeah, I, well, just thinking about that whole gig of like, of course you guys are gonna do a great and secret type element. <laughs> yeah, to a live yeah. where you're handing feeding the audience. Too. I don't even know if we. Yeah, I don't know if we had even done it at that point the show, but we always had that kind of a props element to the shit we were doing. You know, I did have you. You joked about a funeral, but I consider that maybe one of my first. Uh, kind of made everyone laugh, like consciously. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because I was known as kind of like a dry, uh, nerdy kid with a bowl cut and that was fat, <laughs> and uh, I didn't say much, and uh, mm-hmm. 
at my great grandfather's funeral, um, there were so many people there. He he knew he was very much a big presence in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every gathering was maybe at his house. Everybody knew him. He always right. took care of uh, you know everybody with food. So it was always just you know, Vito was the guy, and right. uh, and he was he was my best friend uh, for the first like twelve years of my life. And wow! So your great this is your great grandfather. Great grandfather, Depression era Italian American immigrant, um, second generation. That's amazing. Uh, so he was born here. His parents came over. Um, my first generation, excuse me. And so he yeah. he. Uh, he passed and that was sad and I was in fourth grade and I told a story at his funeral. It was, um, and I did it through cry- I, while I was crying, which was oh, hard. Yeah? I just, I was crying and telling right. a story about my grandfather. They were like, would anyone like to share a memory of Vito? Right. And, and I just, I, I was really devastated all week yeah. uh, and all weekend. And this was the moment. And I had like hidden the back of the funeral because I was a mess. I couldn't be in the room. Right. Um, and, so is this like, this is like a funeral parlor kind of a deal? Mm-hmm. Fun, uh, McDonald's yeah. funeral home right on Chow and, Street. And you just kind of stand up in front of everyone. Like you kind of stand up where you are. Everyone's like, just share how you feel. I love those situations, by the way. I had a good They're beautiful. Seat. I had a good seat to work both rooms because it was an L, you know, the L of the funeral where everybody yeah. walks in, sees the casket. Right. And so I, I was in the, right at the top of the L um, mm-hmm. on the left. So I got both rooms and I think yeah. I got the younger crowd or, uh, early show uh, in that room. <laughs> so uh, I told this story. It was a two stiff minimum. <laughs> there were two bodies. There was like someone else's family. <laughs> Please remember to tip your Paul Barra. Um, I said, my grandfather turned 85. And okay. we bought him this gift that we were very excited about. The gift yeah. was a, a plastic wheelbarrow that you can uh-huh. put your yard trimmings in. It's very light. Okay. Yeah. And it was from Home Depot. And my great-grandmother right. thought it was a great idea. And we thought it was uh-huh. a great idea. And he spent so much time making the lawn and everything perfect. And we wheeled it in. And he opened it. And he always closed his eyes for his gifts, which is adorable for an 85-year-old. Yeah, great. Closed his eyes. Yeah. And he opened his eyes. And there was a big bow. And we all were like... Surprise, and then he said, What the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) And it crushed. And I I remember like feeling uh, that that wave kind of pulled me out of. I mean, I wasn't like totally done mourning, it felt good, but it was like, Right, it eased it, it eased a little bit of that. Um, right. So comedy, I think, uh, saves lives. Mm-hmm. It, well, did you did you feel like that might have been an impetus? Because you said you were how old? Five? Uh, I was in fourth grade, so what is that, oh, okay. ten? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten. So, you, but did you feel like at that time was stand up something you'd already wanted to do, or was that part of the impetus for you eventually getting on stage, or what? Uh, we didn't have cable, so I didn't know what stand up comedy was. I knew I liked right. being funny around people, but I had right. no fucking idea how to do it. And so you kind of, it was just kind of like that was like a part of the whole of your personality at that point, anyway, because it's it had that power to do that, right? But I I think I rarely expressed anything because I was I was such yeah. a maybe a shy or embarrassed easily kid mm-hmm. um, oh wow well i was i was definitely the opposite i uh i was loud and obnoxious and never embarrassed <laughs> the only person who could who could embarrass me was my mother like my mother could and like she was just like but pointedly not not like you know how how some kids are like mom come on mm-hmm. you know like my mom would deliberately do things i'll give you an example um we went to when i was like I think I was like seven, eight, nine. We went to, my dad was, you know, a union guy. He was like the head of a union. You know, he was the uh, the union manager and like he had various jobs, but, you know, kind of, you know, handling the union stuff. So he would go on these for the international, like the IBEW, International Brotherhood of, no, that's electrical workers. Inter- international uh, Brotherhood of, he was, Teamsters? My, my dad was in sheet, he was in sheet metal. So, so was my grandfather. connected. Oh, was we he in, talk about this? No. Was he in oh, local 117? No. <laughs> well, my dad was in local 17. My dad was uh, the head of local 17 for, yeah, yeah. For, Get the yeah, fuck out. I'm going to bring yeah, this yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm almost certain they knew each other. Um, yes. But uh, so my dad, like, would have to go on these business trips, but sometimes we would get to go with him, particularly in the summer. So this one was in Canada, and we, we drove up to uh, Ottawa, and they had these like big meetings and we would have to go up there and, you know, all that stuff. And um, we went to the, you know, we go on these like why my dad was in these meetings. We would go like on these like historical like bus trips and shit like that. So one day we go to the changing of the guard, uh, which is like a big thing in uh, the capital of Canada, you know. And uh, and while we were there, I was watching the changing of the guard. And I used to, you know, I was still at that age where I'd put my my head on my mother's chest, you know, well. To be honest, I still do that with my mother, put my head down on her chest when I'm feeling a little sad or whatever. But um, so she's was so watching and I was paying attention to these like, you know, the, the guys with the like muff hats, you know, they're like those. uh, They almost look like nutcrackers. So there's, you know, hundreds of these guys and they're changing the this big, you know, thing. And uh, and I go to lean on my mom and put my head on kind of like on her chest and then after watching the changing of the guard for like a minute, I look up at her and it's not my mother. Uh, and I'm shocked. And then I look over, I look for my mother and my mother's dying laughing. Uh, like like five to ten feet away. And she had been coaxing this woman on. She had been going, keep going. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let him, let him think you're me. You know, like she was sort of like egging this woman on. And her, the woman's son, he was like my age, was horrified. And even though, like, the lady went along with it and my mother, like, orchestrated this. She used to do shit like that to me all the fucking time where I would be like, you know, it's it's hard to have any kind of, like, embarrassment after something like that. You know, so I would just, like, that's why, you know, I run around naked like a maniac as an adult because my mother would be like, go in there. They're in there. They want to see, you know, your ass. Go wiggle your ding-dong at them, you know, whatever. When people are at my house. Wiggle um, your ding dong, the title yeah, of our new podcast. 
<laughs> so anyway, I've talked too much, but I'll tell you this quick story. When I was like three, uh, they used to have this parade in my town. I think I've talked about it before, the Battle of Bunker Hill Day. Uh, we talked about it on the last recording. But um, we would have these like like parties after the parade at my grandmother's house. And I had, the long story short, I ended up in my aunt's car and I hit the e-brake and I thought I was like driving the car, but it started rolling down the hill because it was like an old car. And my foot was hanging out the door and I basically like crashed into this telephone truck at the bottom of my aunt's, it was like a little incline and it crushed my foot, my ankle in the uh, door. And then the guy for the telephone company came out. He's like, where are you coming from? How, how'd you, you know, end up driving this car or whatever? He picks me up, takes me back to the party, knocks on the door. And he's like, does this little boy belong to anybody? And uh, everyone's like, yeah, yeah. I had to go to the emergency room. And I remember everyone's like scared to death because I had like basically stolen my aunt's car and crashed it into a telephone truck. We go to the ER it's like this whole to-do. I get out of the ER late at night with a cast on my foot. And I remember I came back into my house and my, my like aunts, uncles, I think my maybe my grandparents were there waiting to make sure that I was all right. Because this is like, you know, the fucking 70s, early 80s. And there's no like, you know, phone calls or any of that shit where it's just like, hey, he's okay. You know, it was like there might have been, but they wanted to see for themselves. And when I walked in, everyone was sort of waiting with like bated breath. And I remember... I, I realized the cast on my foot, I could do a perfect like spin Michael Jackson move. So when I walked in, I did like a full like couple 360s, you know, it was like a 720 or whatever. And then I did the hee hee and uh, hee hee and uh, and everyone kind of like burst into like laughter and applause, whatever it was. And at that young age in my head, I was like, oh, you can turn tragedy into comedy. Like you can do something in that instance and like, and I just remember thinking in that instant, uh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to take people's minds off of pain and only have them like, like just be thinking about the good times. And, and from then I was just like, you know, uh, probably unbearable from like four years old, three years old onward. I was like falling in dog shit and like rolling down the stairs in Catholic school and like slipping on ice and just being like, you know trying to make people laugh like a fucking idiot for the rest of my life, yeah. basically. I, love I haven't it. looked back, Gary. You shouldn't, and I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad we're here. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, uh, our pods dropping. Uh, quick plugs for things. Um, stay inside. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, get your shots. Wear your it's masks. It's not over yet. Uh, and stop going to the fucking uh, the next page down in Jackson Square. Uh, stay home, idiots, um, and uh, and be safe. Uh, Chris, I, I'm going to show you this on paper. This I think should be our sign off line forever. Okay, great. Um, um, so is there is there anything else you want to before we sign off, Gary? Are there anything else? We are uh, brought to you by Dead and Mellow uh, Records, right, Gary? I mean, uh, I, I might get that last part wrong, but Dead and Mellow. These guys are great. We're going to have some bumpers coming. They may even be on this episode. I don't even know. Who knows? I think pretty soon we're going to have some sponsors or something. Uh, so that's exciting. I'm trying to get shoe deal with Nike, but, you know, I'm oh, starting with right. Fila. <laughs> Work my way up. <laughs> well, I think I might just order you some Fila sneakers on eBay. And then just be like, we're sponsored, Gary, and then you know, the wiser. They're going to be like 10 sizes too big, but that's okay. I would love to be sponsored as- by... Uh, international religions <laughs> like we're, tonight we are sponsored by Sunni Islam 
Islam means peace in English. Remember that, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, I've I've uh, I've, I've records on deadmelo.com uh, as as well as Rob Crean does. Uh, uh, deadmelo.com is struggling label that started during uh, the beginning of uh, 2020, uh, and they put Perfect out Perfect timing. <laughs> exactly, they gave people like myself good deals on cheap production mm-hmm. values to make up money in, in live performance shows. Yeah, and then live stuff became illegal. So support them directly. <laughs> deadmelo.com. Um, Chris yeah. Walsh, as always, very, very funny, uh, uh, and dear friend, uh, we have a sign-off line. Yeah, this uh, is gonna be, I guess this is our sign-off from now on, uh, and it is something that Gary loves. I don't uh, know, if, do we both do it? Or? I, I think you should, you should bring us out on it. Uh, you bring okay, us in, uh, you bring us out. On, th- on behalf of both Gary Peterson and myself, we would like to say to all of our listeners, relax your slacks. This has been brought to you by Dead and Mellow. Follow us on all your social media platforms and shop around at deadandmellow.com to see all of our stand-up, music, and podcast releases. Thank you, and God bless America. All right, see you later. See Are you we guys. actually leaving or just ending? <laughs> <laughs>